So let's say we nail this whole technology and healthcare thing. And let's imagine that technology is being leveraged to deliver a healthcare system where it's more efficient. So basically, we're doing the same quality healthcare that we normally deliver now. It just takes less time for clinicians to do. So then what? What will those clinicians do with all that extra time? Are they just going to see more patients? Is that how we build healthier societies? Because that's the end game, right? We want to be doing healthcare so well that communities and patients, people, are happier and healthier on a day-to-day. Because you see, I don't think just doing more healthcare faster is going to solve the problem. There's got to be a way to take on this very human problem of healthcare at scale for populations. My guest today is Dr. Chris Hobson, the Chief Medical Officer at Orion Health. And in this chat, we're going to explore the process of enabling clinicians and patients to take the right actions through efficient care coordination and how we can make sense of all this data through analytics, machine learning and AI and many more things to unpack in this chat. Collaboration starts with a conversation, people. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Burge, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Chris Hobson, Chief Medical Officer at Orion Health. He's got 20 years of experience as a physician working in primary and secondary care, including 10 years experience in family medicine. Dr. Hobson has worked globally as Chief Medical Officer in most areas of healthcare IT, from population level health strategy through to product design and development, sales, marketing and implementation. Hey, Chris, how are you going? I'm doing well. Thanks so much, Pete. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And thanks for making the time in an after hours on a weekend for you too, because you're on the other side of the world there at the moment. It's a pleasure, Pete. Yeah, yeah. And you're in Toronto. I'm in Toronto, yeah. Orion as a company is headquartered in Auckland, New Zealand. We have global projects and products and operations. Somehow, as the chief medical officer, I'm very fortunate I get to see a bit of what's going on in the UK and the US and Australia and Middle East. So I get a very privileged position. Toronto is kind of a major office in North America. So I obviously spend quite a bit of time there. Yeah. And you've got a very thick Canadian accent as well going a on. A very there thick Kiwi <laughs> accent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us a bit more about yourself. What's your background, sir? You know, you go through medical school and you graduate and you do these things. And somewhere on the line, I realized this is a hard job and it's made harder because I don't have the information. It takes a bit to just realize that that is one of the major issues. But as we've gone along the track, working with Orion and working with customers, you realize that these are the same problems in different sites. They may look a little bit different, but actually, at the end of the day, the patient has diabetes or AIDS or whatever they have. And so we're able to take a lot of things from one site to another. Obviously, healthcare is different how it's paid. So in the US, payment is just about everything, so much a component of how they do things. In the UK, they pretend payment never happens. So (laughs) Australia, New Zealand and Canada are in between. You sometimes pay for things and sometimes you don't. The work that we do is, you can think of it as doing a best job by an individual patient, but then as you amalgamate or aggregate all of those patients, suddenly you've got a population. So we like to look at things both at the individual patient care and then the whole population. So that's been a big part of where we've got to at this point in our evolution. 
Gotcha. And so tell us a bit more about the, you know, looking at that data, looking at the population. There's so many data points. You've got different systems being collected within a healthcare system, especially across across the globe. So as a healthcare provider or just as an operator within that space, how do you start to make sense of it all? Right. As a core business thing, we aggregate data from multiple systems. And as we go, we actually aggregate more and more data from different systems. So we started with the clinical and the standard kind of lab results messaging and things. But we've expanded. In Australia, for instance, we provide some of the system at Justice Health, which is the prison system. Uh, In the UK, we do a lot of social welfare, social services. So we have all of the social services data in that patient's record. In the US, we have the clinical and the claims So, in fact, the claims data in the U.S. is often more accurate because there's money attached to it, so people get it just right. But we can use the claims data to help better understand a patient. Coming back to your question about data and how you're going to make the most of it, I think one trick is to think of that there's data and then there's information. And after all, this is information technology that we're supposed to be doing. So one way I make that clear to people is bring up your computer screen with this patient and say, what's actually wrong with them? And the people who've just stuck in the technology, well, there's a lab result and there's a this and there's that. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, they've got diabetes and postpartum depression. That's information. And that's really what you want to get to, to help treat that patient and to help the population as well. So in Australia, we've just done a revamp a little bit, moving more towards population health. We've hired clinicians and we're kind of focusing a lot on solving client problems, more so than perhaps here's a widget of this type and here's another widget of that type. That seems to be going really well. And one of the things I've been involved in is bringing the clinicians who are working for us in Australia into the clinical team so they can talk to clinicians. We have one guy in Spain, two in the UK, four or five in North America and so on. From the healthcare provider making sense of it, that is also the issue. So again, like I said, information. One of the biggest problems that we're suffering now in the pandemic, the COVID thing is so much worse, and that is clinician burnout. The clinicians were already burnt out (laughs) before COVID came along, and then suddenly they're having to wear PPE all day, and so it's made life really tough for them. So what, from probably the baseline thing that motivates me is having worked in the system, I'm on the front lines, give me what I need to better do my job. So that's really where we focus on. And related to that is this concept of an integrated record. So I think if you look at some of the things that Ryan's done over the years, we've had integration engines and electronic medical records and so on, but globally, and then also for Australia, it's integrating the record. The US, the Americans call them a health information exchange. And in the UK, they call them an integrated digital care record. So we use the same software in the US for say a statewide deployment. So integrate all of the data in say New Mexico. So we can pull all of the clinical data and claims and things, put it into a central record for New Mexico. But in the UK, it'll be Somerset or Dorset or Bristol, bring all their data. The trick is, as we started with, gonna bring all this data, but we need to present it to that clinician so they can understand what they're looking at. So they don't have to spend time searching for things. They don't need to do redundant tests. You've already had the test, it was done over there, different hospital, but I know you've had it, so you don't have to have another test. Quite a lot of what we do is public health reporting. I see we've got a diagnosis of salmonella, we'll notify CDC for you. So 
the clinician doesn't have to go and find a form, fill out and figure out what they have to do. We just do it. Care coordination, you know, you've got depression. Okay, these are the providers in North Sydney who can treat postpartum depression. In the HIE, you know, a list of all those people and you say, so who's near you? And you can work it out very quickly and easily. There's a quid pro quo. We talk about it as a new professionalism. So the clinicians will get benefit from these systems, but we do push, well, as a healthcare professional in the 21st century, you'll need to know how to use those systems. So there is a time and effort to know what you're doing. We don't think it's a lot with our particular, the way we do it, but you still need to take half an hour out, understand what this software is providing for you. At the end of the day, we're really focused for the individual clinicians on making their life easier, making sense of the data so that everything's cool, and then taking that and then looking at it for the population as well. No, very cool. I want to come back to that point that you raised a bit way through there around well-being of the front line, and that's an interesting one to delve into. But just going back to the point around pulling the data together and effectively making things more efficient, reducing retests and being able to make decisions in a more timely manner and so on. So, you know, as alluded to before, you know, we're removing clinicians from these non-value adding tasks and freeing them up to be able to deliver more healthcare. So in theory, if it's done really well, there's all this extra time that clinicians get or like as a provider, is that the end game, freeing up clinicians to just be able to do more of the same or what are we actually trying to achieve here? Most clinicians, if you ask them, why did you go to medical school? Why did you be a nurse? It's to help people. And so when you talk to clinicians and you say, so what's the biggest source of professional pride or well-being from your profession? They will always say relating to patients, helping patients. So we've added in there, but I think it's others have as well. And that's being able to be kind of time to be empathetic. Sometimes we used to talk about the drug doctor. <laughs> Purely seeing the doctor can make you feel better because someone's here who can cope with the situation. And doctors and nurses and other health professionals get a lot of their source of satisfaction from doing that. At the other end, when you ask clinicians, what's the thing that most frustrates you? It's always paperwork and a lot of them will throw in the computer. So we think, like you said, done well with the right things, we should be giving them more time and they have more time, therefore, to deliver the empathetic care. There's a lot of unnecessary care and waste in the system. An example might help a little bit. My six-year-old was in hospital with an erythromycin toxicity, serum sickness. The hospital said when she sent her home, make sure you get a blood test and come and see us in a month and come and see us. So, of course, persuading a six-year-old girl to have a blood test isn't easy, <laughs> but she does it. So it has a full blood test and everything. We go along to the clinic and they say, hmm, can't find the result. Okay. He says, I'll go look for it. Now, this is the largest pediatric hospital in New Zealand at the time. Guy goes away for 20 minutes. Sorry, can't find the lab result. He comes back and he says, well, she looks okay. Don't worry too much. Bring her back in three months. So then, of course, you know, <laughs> so healthcare is full of stories like that. Yeah. And it's just to illustrate that if the information was there, that would have saved 20 minutes looking to find it would have mm. idea that just there. It would have saved 20 minutes and it would have given a child an accurate diagnosis and plan all those things. So the way we see it, so there's time savings to be made and you can use that to do 
more empathetic, more time of the relationship, which is what you want to do. One of the special things with the HIEs or these integrated records is clinicians often say, well, I like to be in my EMR. Why should I? You're telling me I have to go now as well as my local system. So I now also have to go and look at this other system. So we've had quite a lot of experience with that over the years. And the things is kind of as follows. First of all, in the 21st century, again, the time to get into one system and get into another should be fast. It's not like five years ago, 10 years ago, sitting, waiting. No, you should boom, boom. You'll understand that an integrated record, it makes sense if this patient's got a long, complex history. If it's a 20-year-old who's fallen off a skateboard with a broken wrist, you don't really need to know the whole history. You just need to fix the wrist. But if it's a 75-year-old with diabetes and heart disease, and so you know the kind of patients that you need to go looking for and you'll be a better provider and you will have more time. Going one level up from that is the care coordination. Like we said, so who are the mental health providers in North Sydney for postpartum depression? I'm just making it up, but you can see if I can quickly find that and then quickly do a referral, it's boom, boom, everything's done and now I can focus on doing my job. So that's how we see it panning out. Clinicians won't have a lot of spare time, but what they do, they'll be doing well, efficiently, and they'll feel better about it because they're both doing a better job and they have a better relationship with the patient. And so this point around empathetic care, very much on board with that. And it makes sense. It's good from a human aspect and being able to be more human in that sense makes sense. But from a health perspective, let's get into the facts around it. Why is it actually so important to deliver empathetic care? Let's start with technology. And okay, so we're trying to bring this technology into the healthcare system and just talking about the subject and then I'll get to the point, but you can step back a little bit and you look at technology generally, there is both an interest in more and more complex and fantastic technology but also there's a significant groundswell of interest in the human aspects of the technology. Are we doing the right thing with the privacy of the data? Where does the compassion and empathy fit into this tool that could be just a machine? So how does that help? So empathy is important, and there are plenty of studies show that where your doctor or nurse has the ability to relate to you, to feel empathy is something like, being in the shoes, being in the same, being able to put yourself in the situation of that drug addict or whatever, being able to do that, it's a good thing. There's plenty of studies show that patients do better when they perceive that their doctor or nurse is empathetic and cares. So that's why it's important. In a lot of busy clinics and busy situations, orthopedics is the notorious one. You're coming through so fast. And maybe in those situations, certainly on an average day, there's not too many patients with broken wrist. They basically just need it well sorted. They're not too worried about the empathy. But as we get into more interesting things, I guess we were talking about the distinction between something like a biomedical model of disease and health and disease and a biopsychosocial spiritual model of disease, which is this person is unwell for multiple aspects. And the more we're able to have that empathy, which means understanding the psychological, the social, and even the spiritual side of that person, the more likely we are to be able to help them. I was thinking about you and talking to an Australian audience, and I was thinking one of the nearest experiences that I did have in New Zealand was dealing with the Maori and Pacific 
population. And actually, it's about being able to put yourself in their shoes. It's being about able to reach that community. You say to them, okay, we're going to do a project to improve diabetes amongst Maoris in New Zealand. Sounds good, but why do I care? So you have to work with them and say, well, if you don't treat your diabetes, your population, there'll be more heart attacks and there'll be blindness. And you've got to understand and then put it to them in a culturally appropriate way. Incidentally, in Canada about a week ago, so the whole issue of the residential schools, which I think we had in Australia too, and at one of the schools in British Columbia, they discovered 215 dead children. And this has caused just massive upset. It's just appalling. But empathy is such an important thing to reach people and treat them in a way that's likely to stick and to work. I'm sure there's similar instances in Australia with some of your different populations too. So, Yeah. That makes so much sense. And it's something that we can certainly all resonate with. Hey, thinking around the healthcare providers for a second and that point around the well-being of the frontline and how that's such an important topic at the moment has been for a while, but particularly like in COVID and post-COVID. What role does technology play in all of this from your perspective? So technology can be a positive or a negative. That's the first thing to understand. It is a machine, (laughs) and so it has to fit into your workflow. It has to give you what you need to do when you need to do it. We were chatting beforehand, you know, the grown man crying because he's got an EMR and a waiting room full of patients, and he doesn't know very well how to use the EMR. Technology can be stressful. So our approach from Orion's perspective, a couple of things on that. So obviously, we've got experience internationally with a lot of different sites, when it comes to a health information exchange, we've done this a lot. 10 years ago, maybe it was harder. We were all, both our clients and ourselves, feeling our way and is this going to work? Now we can point to, say, 50 sites around the world where we've put integrated records. So in doing that, the experience from those sites comes back into the core product. So that's really good. The other thing we've done is we have our own kind of clinical team. So if you think of it, It's almost like an ethics committee or a clinical advocacy committee or a clinical safety committee. As a team of about 10 or 12 clinicians, we look at the products, the solutions, the projects, and we pull together common elements and things that really matter and try and highlight those so that the solution, when it's delivered to the client, does fit their workflow. It does make their lives easier. But it takes a lot of time and effort. Sometimes, I'll give you just a base example, data comes from a hospital and it says the patient's allergic to a drug. Okay, but as you as the physician at the next hospital, was that put there, did the patient say, oh, I think I'm allergic? Or did a doctor put it when they did an allergy test? (laughs) They specifically showed or proved that the patient was allergic. So we spend a lot of time sorting through those kinds of issues and making sure that the clinicians can rely on the data and then pull the data together so it is information, not just a lot of stuff. Yeah. I've seen countless times where data has been available to a clinician, available in inverted commas to a clinician, but the confidence hasn't been there in the data. So as a clinician taking ownership of that, they've said, look, I don't know we should probably just get the test done again because it just says this and it's like a word and something on the system. So that's kind of pointless collecting it all and putting together if it's not actually meaningful in that sense. Yeah, I can see the importance there. 
we spend a lot of time on those ones. Medications, obviously, is really important from the clinician and the patient perspective to get the drugs wrong. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, thinking ahead, closing things out, what does good healthcare look like in your mind in terms of population groups and communities? First thing, I think access to healthcare needs to be easier. So we've been working on a technology they call the digital front door. When you go into a patient portal, you actually can do meaningful things there. The analogy is to airlines, banking, real estate. You go to the website and you can book a flight and a hotel and all of that kind of thing. Even Uber, those things have radically changed. Trying to take some of those concepts and put them in the front as a patient, I've got a much richer kind of understanding of the system I'm trying to get into. Another one is just equity. The best example was in COVID and Toronto's had a terrible time with COVID. It's gone on and on and on, been locked down forever. They did a map of Toronto and it said, so here's where the COVID cases are and here's where we're vaccinated. <laughs> and they'd vaccinated all the healthy people. And in the poorer parts of town where there's a lot of people from the Middle East, different cultures, overcrowding, essential workers, they had no vaccines. So the information was used then to say, okay, all right, we have to go into the mosques, we have to go into churches, we have to go into these high-rise buildings with overcrowding and vaccinate them. And then suddenly it made such a huge difference. So I think equity and so data and information can really help on that equity situation. It's really important. Uh, I think we've talked about population health and understanding that and adding more things like social determinants will help a lot. I think the patient involvement so the consumer driving care, that's not going to stop. That's really important. One that kind of makes it clear, to, you, you'll see people go round and round circles on this one. How much should the patient be told or know? There's a project in Boston called Open Notes. And basically, the moment you've put hand to keyboard, that information is available to the patient. So, of course, people, oh, you can't do that. They can't cope. Guess what? They can. <laughs> Not only can the patients cope, they can actually point out things that I may have missed. Let patients help. So there's a lot of that's going to keep driving. And I think that's a really good thing. And technology's enabled it because previously when it's in a paper note, it's hopeless. And, you know, in the end, what I'd like to see is the system that gets better over time. So it keeps improving. We learn from our mistakes and we get better. And one of those kind of back to the beginning where I'm privileged to see, for instance, in the UK NHS and how they do things. And I'm always like, oh my God, you guys are so far ahead. <laughs> they've already, like just random example, they've already given up and abandoned any idea that the mental health data should be separate from the rest of the record. So if you're the clinician caring for this patient, you're entitled to see the behavioral health data. It's all tracked and audited but it's an essential part of the clinical record so you can get to see it. So at least to take those ideas and see if they fit into New South Wales or whatever. Yeah, maybe they don't, but at least you can say, and like with the open notes example in Boston, as we look around, we can see things that have worked. I think it's be great if as a health system, we can learn from those things. I am very much on the same page with that, Chris. I can't wait to see opportunities where health systems can learn from others, from other parts of the world. Other vendors can learn from vendors. And as an industry and as a healthcare system, we can all improve. That's what it's all about. 
Chris, I look forward to speaking about all different topics with you, I'm sure, on the podcast in the future again, but we might close out this one for now. I'll put all the details that we've talked about in the show notes of this episode and on the website for people to check out if they do want to do that. Look, Chris, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much, Pete. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.